Good evening. All right. Good. Thank you all for being here. If you weren't here, nobody would be. So it's great. I'm glad you're here tonight. You know, I, um, aren't you glad God is in control still? Somebody had to say it. We had elections last night. doesn't matter who controls the House or the Senate. We know that God is still in control, right? Amen. The other, reason, the other way I know that God is in control is that UK lost in basketball last night. And that was, that was a great, well, not really, but you're supposed to laugh. Thank you. Ben walked out. That was for him, and he wasn't even in here. But anyway, um, thank you for being here tonight. Um, I've been tasked with a very familiar and sometimes unpopular passage. And uh, somehow I got the short end of the stick or something. I'm not sure what happened. Where's Pastor Darrell at? Pastor Darrell. Yes. I mean, um, we're looking at the end of Ephesians 5 and the first part of Ephesians 6. And we are talking about authenticity, but we're also talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife, between parents and children. And um, Pastor Darrell, you sure you don't want to, based on all your experience and wisdom and all that, come up here tonight? You sure? All right. Actually, probably based on all his wisdom and experience, he said, let somebody else do that. Probably. That's probably what I'm imagining. But anyway, um, we're going to talk about this. Authenticity is the result of spirit-led relationships, all right? So there's several different relationships through this passage that we're going to look at this evening. Um, But Ephesians, if you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be at the end of that, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 um, through 6, verse 9. And I will read that together this time. Verse 21 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Isn't it interesting? God never told us to love ourselves. That kind of comes naturally, doesn't it? But nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it, that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, and this is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And then verses 5 through 9. Bond servants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, and with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does... This he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. 
Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. In this series, we've been talking about, and Pastor Troy already referred to it, about being the dynamic, multiplying disciple. And as I was reading this passage and I was looking at it, being a dynamic, multiplying disciple, I'm not going to say that too many times because I don't get tongue twisted, but it starts at home. Amen? Amen, I got one. All right. It starts at home. It starts with those who know us best. It starts with those who we have the most influence on in our lives. It starts with our spouses. It starts with our children, those who we work closely with, who work closely with us, those who know us, who really know us. We can't be a dynamic, multiplying disciple full of the Spirit of God unless we first pass that test, test one. Not until we have honored God at home. And so we're talking tonight about the next description of being that type of disciple of Christ, being authentic. And I'm, tonight I'm not going to take a lot of time and go over what authentic means, and we're not going to explain it a whole lot, but, or how to achieve it and how, and give it to us as a goal of being a dynamic Christian. Being authentic is a result or the product of being led and controlled by the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in Scripture in a little bit. We can't, and if you had taken notes, I didn't do a handout, but if you're taking notes, this is something you could jot, jot down. We can't try to achieve authenticity. We must be authentic. So, in obeying the truth in this passage that we're going to look at, and by walking in the light of His Word tonight, by being led by the Spirit that result is going to be authenticity in our life and in our walk and our spouses and our children, the people that we know and that we work closely with. We'll see that, and we'll see the authenticity, and we can continue on this road of being a dynamic, multiplying disciple. So let's look at this passage really quick, and as we look at this, we have to get to its true meaning. And examine the structure of what the passage is saying here. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Dave spoke to us powerfully about being holy as part of the dynamic multiplying disciple. And that is done by letting the Holy Spirit fill us or have control of our lives. And our passage where we're starting picks up where he left off in Ephesians chapter 5. But I want to look at that again because that is a key part to what we're talking about this evening. The whole idea actually continues on through this passage. Look um, back at Ephesians 5, verse 18 to 21, if you have that, if, or your phones or whatever you got there. But verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in the, to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and here's our first verse, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So these passages, and this is what um, Pastor Dave showed us, that we must be filled with the Spirit. Let Him have control in our lives as Christians. And how we live that out under His control follows in those verses 19, 20, and 21. And we have a command 
be filled with the Spirit. That's the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And following that, we have what we call, and I don't want to get too deep in the language stuff and bore you and make you go to sleep, but participles, and it's describing the command and what happens there. And so being filled by the Spirit, while, when God does that, we must continue by speaking to one another, psalms and hymns, singing, giving thanks, making melody in our hearts to the Lord, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ or the fear of the Lord. Some translations like to put a period at the end of verse 20, and then they make another command that says, submit yourselves one to another. And, but that's not the total picture of what we see if we go back and look. Follow along with me here. Um, but the command still is from verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. We must be filled and controlled by the Spirit. And under His control, you can then submit to one another. So He isn't saying, be filled with the Spirit, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord, doing all this, and then, boom, that's done. Now, submit to one another and gives us another command without the help of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you must be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit in order to submit to one another in mutual submission. So the main idea in our passage that we're talking about is not the command to submit, but to do it, to submit to one another because we are filled with the Spirit. Now, ladies, you can say, thank God I don't have to submit to this man on my own, right? It's going to take the work of the Holy Spirit to help me do that, Um, which is the next verse we're talking about. So the premise for all of the passage is that we and our relationship with our spouse, with one another, with our children, the people we work with and work for, these relationships are built on the factor that you and I are being led and controlled by the Spirit. If we aren't, then what Paul is instructing us to do and how to interact in our relationships with one another is impossible for us to do. This is, this is if we look at that, Without the help of the Spirit, that's pretty high living. All right, we can't do that on our own. We have to have the Spirit's power and presence and help in our lives to do this. Now, let's continue that thought. So, we're controlled by the Spirit. Therefore, the control of the Spirit empowers me to submit to one another um, in mutual submission. And then we jump to verse 22, the next one after that. And it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And a lot of times, that looks like a new paragraph, and if you've got your Bible, there's probably a heading there that says wives and husbands or something. And it starts, wives, submit to your husbands. Once again, it looks disconnected from the previous passage, but it's not. Um, in the original text, even several of them, it implies the word submit there. It's not even in there. Um, scholars have interjected the word submit there. Um, but... It's actually implied in a lot of the original text, which means it's connected to what just came. We were already talking about submission. So, what, and uh, I'll try to get a little more, not quite so deep here in a minute, but this is very important on this to get where we're going. So, how should this be understood? It should say, submitting to one another out of the reverence or fear of Christ, comma, woman, to your own husbands as to the Lord. So, that's all one, one uh, phrase. Scholars try to divide that, and they um, sometimes the translation in the English 
and going to different paragraphs and stuff makes it hard to show a continued thought. And so that's what it's actually saying is you're controlled by the Spirit. Through that, you can submit to one another in mutual submissions, wife to your own husband. So it's not saying, once again, that wives, you have to just do this, and there's no work of the Spirit here, there's no whatever, but it's talking under the umbrella of the work and the control of the Holy Spirit in your life, are you to submit? Now, let's um, look at this, and I might say probably this verse, wives, submit to your husband, might be um, taken out of context more than any verse that I've heard in Scripture. Guys, anybody want to be honest? Have you ever taken this out of context? Wives, submit to your husbands. I don't have any brave souls here tonight. <laughs> all right. So, compiling that all together, we can't separate any of those ideas. The Holy Spirit controlling our lives, and we are submitting. So, here's basically, in a nutshell, what this is. Be filled with the Spirit, verse 18, the command, and under the control of the Spirit, you submit to one another, woman to your own husbands, under the control of the Spirit, the husband is the head of the house. Under control of the Spirit, men love your wives. Under control of the Spirit, nourish and cherish your wives as Christ does his church. Under control of the Spirit, give up your life for your spouse, for your wife, as Christ did the church. Under control of the Spirit, the spirit children, obey your parents and honor them. Under control of the Spirit, treat those in authority over you as Christ would, even if they treat you wrongly or badly. Under, or bad, I guess, that's bad English, bad, treat you bad. Under control of the Spirit, do everything as to God and not to men, not to please men, but God. And under control of the Spirit, you will be authentic in your relationships. And you'll be able to be that dynamic, multiplying disciple that can make a difference in the world. You see, none of this works apart from letting the Holy Spirit have control and lead our lives. You know, we wonder why, when we look at some statistics, we wonder why the divorce rate is the same for evangelicals as it is for non-Christians. Here's why. The Spirit wasn't in control. We wonder why a lot of Christians, some people you know, you, you, you guys probably thinking of somebody now, maybe you avoid or you see them out in public and he's like, man, they don't act that way at church. Um, or you work with some people that you would have never known as a Christian by their actions or their talk. Why is that? Here's why. They're not controlled by the Spirit. We can't live like this, like he's calling us to, by ourselves. It has to be the power of God, his Spirit, working in us. And that's my introduction. So. <laughs> All right. No, it's not, not that long, really. Seventh, oh, man, we've got plenty of time. So Paul is talking here in this passage about three different relationships, and they were kind of paradigms in his day. You know, husband, wife, children, parents, and in his day, master-slave relationships. And he was saying to us here, and these were occurring, and it wasn't necessarily Christian relationships, but he is writing this to Christians and saying, here's the difference. Here's the difference in your relationship with your husband or wife or with your children or with your master or slave. Here's the difference that there needs to be when you're walking 
with God and the Spirit is working in you. When Christ is the center, when the Holy Spirit is in control. And as we look at these, if you miss everything else I say tonight, here is the purpose of these Spirit-filled relationships. It is to point to Christ and His covenant-keeping relationship with His church. So here's an interesting thought, um, which we, we talk about sometimes, but we don't really delve into and we don't think about. But marriage is a representation of Christ's covenant-keeping love with His church. You agree? That didn't get a, that didn't get a lot of hallelujahs. But that's, that's what a lot, of, a lot of response is. And we talk about that some. We talk about it here and there. But we normally don't think of marriage as the representation of Christ and his covenant-keeping relationship with the church, do we? Not a whole lot. We'll talk about it in church. But in your everyday life, are you thinking about your marriage as a representation of Christ's love to the church? Not normally. A lot of times we tend to maybe treat marriage as utilitarian or we treat it as boundary lines. We do it because God commanded us to do it and because that's what we do. And we love our spouses and are faithful to our spouse. And we, when we get married, we cite our vows so death do us part. And we do marriage like God commanded us. And we live happily <clears throat> together and it's great. But Here's something to remember, and for us to, um, this kind of was an eye-opener for me as I was studying this. A spirit-filled marriage isn't about you or your spouse. Hmm. Look what it says in those verses. It says, wives submit as to the Lord. Husbands, be the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ is. Loved the church. Husbands, give up yourself. Give up your life for your spouse as Christ did for the church. The ultimate purpose of a spirit-filled marriage is to be a reflection of Christ and his sacrificial love for his church. Marriage is wonderful and it's amazing and it's magnificent because it is pointing to something and someone who is magnificent. It is pointing to Christ's sacrifice and his covenant-keeping. I keep saying that because I like it so much. His covenant-keeping love for his church. We need to hold it sacredly in our lives. We need to treat our marriages as sacred. We are representing Christ. People who don't have Christ can look at your marriage and look at my marriage, hopefully. And whoever's marriage, if it's a spirit-filled, spirit-led marriage, And can say, wow, what's the difference here? I don't have that. We don't have what they have. We need to treat our marriages as sacred. Yes, we get the benefits of marriage and we we do this and we do it because it's God's commanded us. We get the blessings of it. But the purpose of marriage in this context is representing Christ to the world. Let me ask you, have you ever thought of your marriage as presenting the gospel to the world. Hmm. Your marriage is a light to the world. Your marriage is showing sinners what Christ did on the cross and his sacrifice for the church. It's a sacred thing. So, how is that going to change your marriage this evening? 
How's that going to change your thought process? It puts a whole new idea on it. Um, and then you, now we can also see why the devil fights it so much and why he hates marriage and the family. And I don't want to get sidetracked here, but that is what marriage is all about in here. Now, for the part you've been waiting for, right? <clears throat> I don't know what's wrong here. I need some water or something maybe, but we'll see. Um, wives, submit to your husbands. You guys really want to know what that means, don't you? Well, I'm not going to tell you. So, no, I don't want to get sidetracked into what submission to your husband means and get all that and debate all of that. Um, and I don't want to debate, you know, what the head of the home and we're going to get in all those discussions. That's for another day in a small classroom over there if you want to do that. Um, but I have a small um, quote here from John Piper, and it kind of gives a definition of submission and headship, or which is a leader, a headship um, in your home. Head, thank you. I'm not sure. Let's see. This will help a little bit. I have a water. I'm going to, all right, I'm going to confess. I have water sitting over there, and I've never drank water while I'm speaking. So I was like, I'm not going to start drinking water while I'm speaking. Now I'm standing up here and have cotton mouth, so I have to drink it. Anyway, submission and headship, that's the two main ideas here um, between the relationship with the wives and husband. So very quickly, we're not going to debate it. We're not going to go through a whole lot of that. I just want to give you a short um, definition of it. Headship, or being the head of the wife, which um, the man is called, the husband is called to do. So you can write this down if you want. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. All right, I'll say that again because I don't have it on a slide. Headship, that is the husband, the head of the home or the wife. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Wow. That's, that's a tall responsibility. Submission, and I'll give you this, the flip side of that quickly. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it out through, carry it through according to her gifts. So submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Now remember, as we're talking about these relationships, that it is all in relation to the Holy Spirit having control in our lives. The context here is a spiritual context. Men, we have a responsibility to our wives and to our families. Being the head of the house and the head of your wife means responsibility, not power and privilege. All right? Being the head of your house means responsibility, not power and privilege. It means that God has placed on you... <laughs> I sh- you shouldn't have come tonight. You wouldn't have had to hear that. God has placed on you and I a great responsibility to lead our wife and families as the Holy Spirit is leading us. It doesn't mean that you have the privilege to sit in your lazy boy, watch football, and make your wife bring you supper. That's not what this is talking about at all. That's the farthest thing from what this means. All right, this does not give you and I permission to be 
a childish bully, which some people take that. I've, I've heard growing up some different takes on that. But what it does is it places on us as men and as head of the home and head is a great responsibility of spiritual leadership in our homes. It gives us a responsibility to lead our wives and to ensure the morals and the values of our homes. We are responsible to raise our children in the fear of God. We are to love and nourish and cherish our wives and sacrifice for them as Christ did for the church. Love them as Christ loves the church and gave himself for his bride. Now, I've got, I got a question. Be honest now. When you are looking for a wife, now this could go, this could go bad. No. <laughs> Don't answer actually out loud or anything. You didn't try to find the most unattractive, unintelligent, unwanted person you could find, did you? No. You didn't. No, you were looking for certain qualities in a wife. And that's all the farther we're going with that, too. But look at Christ's example of love. He chose us not because we are holy and beautiful and intelligent and attractive, but because he wanted to make us holy and beautiful. He didn't look for an attractive bride or an intelligent bride or even a faithful bride. He found a wretch like you and me and said, I can make you holy. Ezekiel 16 gives a graphic description of God choosing his people. And it relates to us, the bride of Christ. It in essence says, I'm not going to read it all because it is pretty graphic, but in essence says, there you were talking about his chosen people, lying on the ground, an unwanted, newborn baby, filthy, dirty, hopeless. No one had pity on you. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, then I said to you, live. And in verse 9 it says, And then I bathed you with water, and I washed off your blood from you, and anointed you with oil. And he goes on through Ezekiel 16, and he chose, it was his chosen people. And he goes on through there, and man, they just, time after time after time, left God for other gods and idols and all this stuff. And he goes through, keeps coming back, and he talks about their adultery and their wickedness. And they were more wicked than Sodom and Gomorrah. And he keeps talking about that, and he gets down to the end of the chapter. I'll get it out here. It says, Nevertheless, I will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and be ashamed when you receive your older and your younger sisters. For I will give them to you for daughters, but not because of my covenant with you. And I will establish my covenant with you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, that you may remember and be ashamed. And never open your mouth anymore because of your shame. When I provide you an atonement for all you have done, says the Lord God. Wow, that's powerful. And we, as the bride of Christ, that's you and I. Filthy, dirty, hopeless, abandoned, no one wanted us. We were tossed out in the field. And Christ came and he said, I want to give my life for you. I want to love you with an everlasting love. I want to make a covenant with you. I'm choosing you. I'm going to make you holy. You are my bride. 
Amen. Men, that's what it means to be the head of your wife, to be the head of your house. We're supposed to love them with the love that Christ loved us with. And I just showed that to you. That puts a little twist on it, doesn't it? Man. Wives, you should be saying amen right now. But anyway, no, I'm not. We're supposed to love and lead them as Christ did. There's no mention of superiority or higher rank or extra privilege in this passage. Think about this, and this is something you could take home and ponder, maybe research a little bit. Jesus is our example as a leader, right? Jesus was still leading his disciples when he washed their feet. Hmm. He was being a servant. He was a servant leader. Yes, we are the leader, but we are to lead by example. Jesus' disciples wanted to follow him. They wanted to die for him. They gave their life for him. They did die for him because they knew who he was. He was the true one, but he led them, and they gave their lives for him. That's the kind of love that we are supposed to show to our wives, to our spouse. The only way that we can love and lead our wives like this is to go back to our context. It is with the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Without the authority of the Holy Spirit, now get this, without the authority of the Holy Spirit working in us, we don't have the authority to lead as we should. Are you leading your wife, your home, your family in the context that we see here tonight? I'm convicted with this truth. I'm not, not... talking to you, but I'm talking to myself as well. And if we're going to lead our homes with the authority, we must let God first lead us. We must let the Spirit have full control. We're going all the way back to verse 18 in chapter 5. Be filled with the Spirit. It's not an option, it's a command. And through that, we can love our spouse, love our wife as Christ loved the church and loved his bride. Now, ladies, I'm not going to badge you or talk about submitting, so you're getting off easy tonight. Now, ladies, your husband and your family need you to support his spiritual leadership and to complement it with nurturing and love and help shape the direction of his leadership. You're a check and balance on his spiritual leadership. Unfortunately, too many times I've seen where the man is not the spiritual leader of the home, and the wife has to step up and assume that role. And um, it's just what happens when we have to do that. So, man, we have a big responsibility tonight. We have a huge responsibility. And you think of culture, and pretty much everything, how do I want to say this? Pretty much if you look at culture, whatever is the exact opposite of that, you're going to find in God's Word. <laughs> pretty much about everything, I feel like. Um, and so, husbands, men, we have a great responsibility tonight to our wives, to our families. Now, ladies, you might say, what if I have a husband who's not a believer, who isn't controlled by the Spirit? Your spiritual submission is the Christ. It says, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So, number one, ladies, your submission is, first of all, to God. Second of all, to your husband. 